Praise God. We're ready to worship the Lord. He is good. Amen. Father God, uh, we're just so excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning and to worship you and praise you and to open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us this morning, Father God. And we're so grateful for the love and the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. And we want to celebrate that in this place this morning. We just love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Christ died for our sins. Amen. According to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What a great hope we have. Amen. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. Bring your addictions Come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting there With open arms For God so loved The world that he gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever believes in him Will live forever the power of hell forever defeated now it is well i'm walking in freedom for god's own love god's own love the world praise god praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his love praise god praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his love his amazing love for god so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save for god so loved 
you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship Father God I pray that you would just reign in our hearts and we sing that this morning to reign, reign in us You thought of us before the world began to breathe And you knew our names before we came to be You saw the very day we'd fall away from you And how desperately we need to be redeemed Lord Jesus Come lead us We're desperate for your touch Oh great and mighty one With one desire we come That you would reign That you would reign in us We're offering up our lives Living sacrifice that you would reign, that you would reign in us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh again. Come search our hearts and purify our lives. We need your perfect love, we need your discipline As we're lost unless you guide us with your light Lord Jesus, come lead us We're desperate for your touch Oh great and mighty That you would reign, that you would reign us. We cry out for your life to refine us. 
my mind and my heart. in me 
and leave me in the way everlasting. Oh, I can run and I can hide, even darkness is a light from the lowest place to the highest praise you are worthy amazing love how can it be far too wonderful for me there's only one thing left to say You formed me in my mother's womb. You know my frame, my flesh and bone. I'm wonderfully made. I can't describe its way to I. You see me through and through and call me love. What a wonderful grace. You formed me in my mother's womb. You know my frame, my flesh and bone. I'm wonderfully made I can't describe its way to why You see me through and through And call me love What a wonderful grace Oh, I can't Darkness is a light from the lowest place to the highest praise. You are worthy, amazing love. How can it be? Far too wonderful for me. There's only one thing left to say. is a light from the lowest place to the highest praise you are worthy amazing love how can it be far too wonderful for me there's only one thing left to say you Amen. He is worthy.
praise you, God. Morn, I see you in the sunrise every morn. It's like a picture that you painted for me. Love letter in the sky. Story, I could have had a really different story. But you came down from heaven to restore me. Forever saved my life Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus I stand in all of your amazing ways I worship you as long as I am breathing God, you are faithful and true Nobody loves me like you. Mountains, you're breaking down the weight of all my mountains. Even when it feels like I'm surrounded, you never leave my side. Oh. Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus. I stand in all of your amazing ways. I worship you as long as I am breathing. God, you are faithful and true. Nobody loves me like you. Nobody Oh, what a song to sing Oh, what a song to sing Oh, what a song to sing Oh, what a song My heart keeps singing Oh, what a song to sing Oh, what a song to sing Oh, what a song to sing Jesus, you love me And I love you, God Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus I stand in all of your Nobody loves me 
us like the Lord Jesus. Amen. We give you praise in this place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for the hope that you've set in our hearts. And thank you for your beautiful creation that just shouts the name of God and who you are, that there is a creator that designed and put everything in motion and counts the, the hairs on our head and numbers them and just cares for us. We just love you so much, Father God, and we celebrate you in this place and this morning, and I pray that you would just open our minds and our hearts this morning to everything that you have for us as we dig into your word and dig into your truth and dig into your marvelous, marvelous creation that you've set around us as a glorious witness to our great God. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.
Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Blessed Hope Chapel. Blessed to be in the house of the Lord this morning. If you're new, uh, we praise God for you. Um, they have a welcome packet for you in the foyer. If you're new, after church, if you want to come up and get some prayer or just fellowship, uh, we'd love to get to know you better. I hope the elders up front that will pray for you. And uh, we're just blessed to have you here this morning. A couple announcements. Uh, we have the Feast of Charity at Pastor Joe's house right after service today. New month, August 1st, it says. Wow, where's this year going? So after church, um, bring sushi for me and my wife, if you could, and uh, we'll see you there, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it says, uh, make your favorite international recipe to share. Pick a main dish, side dish, dessert, salad, etc. So come with something, and you can contact Mary if you have any questions about that. Also, children's ministry servants are still needed, so get in contact with Yasmin if you'd like to serve. Uh, there's sign-ups in the foyer for that. Um, also, we have the women's retreat right around the corner. That's September 24th through the 26th. It's going to be at Mandalay Bay Resort on the beautiful Oxnard, California shore. It is first come, so the cost is $230. There's a $100 deposit, so get that into Mary as soon as possible. There's a sign-up for that in the foyer as well. Um, just check out um, this pamphlet here. There's a bunch of stuff. I don't want to go over it all. There's prayer meetings every day. There's a men's discipleship every other week. There's Bible studies, college groups, a lot of different things to get plugged in. So check all that out. Um, I am going to bring up Brother Chad Davidson. He has an announcement, an exciting announcement regarding the youth for us. And then we're going to take an offering and then uh, bring up Pastor Joe. Awesome, awesome. Well, man, I'm so excited about what I get to announce today. I had asked Steve if I could announce to you guys because um, if you guys didn't know, we've been working really, really hard, uh, specifically uh, with Nico, who's been helping me design the youth room. For you guys who've been around Blessed Hope long enough, you know that our youth room has uh, been a little bit of patchwork for a lot of years. I see some of the young guys who have gone through that smiling as I say that. But uh, during COVID, it was kind of used for... Uh, storage, especially for the easy ups and everything. And meeting together was very difficult, especially with young kids, because a lot of times what we like to do is invite people from other churches as well. So it's very difficult to invite people you may not know to come and be a part of the fellowship when everyone's really concerned about what's going on with COVID. So we thought it'd be a great time to redo the whole thing. And I got permission from Pastor Joe, Pastor Steve, and the elders uh, to start working on it. And so what I would love for you guys to do, uh, who please, 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 uh, if you feel led, after service, I know we're going over to Joe's house, but I would love for uh, a lot of you guys to maybe check out and even pray over what we've done over the last few months in building it, because it has taken a lot of time, and a lot of the people here have put in a lot of work in terms of getting it all cleaned up and everything, so we can really do a reopening of the youth group here at Blessed Hope Chapel. And this Friday at 6 p.m. we're going to have our first meeting there and it's going to be pretty awesome. We're actually going to have four different teachers teaching that night 
And we're also going to have some worship. The Eddie girls, a lot of you guys know them. We're going to help me out with some worship, as well as Nick Palmieri. And you guys will hear four different shorter messages uh, for the young adults. And we want to, what we want to do is, for the youth group, sorry. And what we want to do is, is use this as a time to invite. If you have neighbors and stuff, it's a great time. It's an event. We'll have some food. We'll have some stuff. But they're going to hear Christianity 101. We're going to go over main doctrines of the Christian faith, specifically four of them. One of them being how we are justified, the cross of Christ, the resurrection, sanctification, and then we will also go over the Bible as a whole. So they'll get to hear four different short teachings, hopefully keep them uh, enthused about it. But I am really, really excited to have uh, some of the young people there and to start really uh, going into them in terms of getting the word of Christ to them. So please, if you guys know someone, invite them. If you're part of the group, Make sure you invite your friends. We're going to have a great time, and I have a great leadership group all under the pastoral authority of Pastor Steve and Joe and the elders, but we also have a good leadership group of young people who many of them have come up through the youth group now and are young adults following Christ and loving His Word, and it's just really exciting. So, you know, hopefully you guys can see, and if you guys ever walked upstairs and saw it before and you can see it, it's kind of a transformation, and we're about probably two days of work before it's fully complete, but it's kind of this Friday is going to be the reopening of the youth group, which I'm totally excited about. So make sure if you got a chance after church, uh, come on up there. I'll be up there. And if you want to pray over it, uh, remember some of those young people are going to walk in there knowing nothing of Christ and hopefully walk out uh, having him live in their hearts. So that's the goal. Amen. Praise the Lord, guys. Thank you, guys. Praise God. It's exciting. If you haven't been up there, check it out. Really, it really looks good up there. And I'm excited about what Chad is doing with the youth and on August 6th. It's going to be a blessed time. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and take an offering here. And uh, I'm going to pray and bring up Pastor Joe. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. Father, we thank you that the tomb is empty. Thank you that Christ is risen. Father, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we have forgiveness of sins. Father, help us to not take it for granted. Help us to live lives in light of eternity. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us this morning with the preaching of the word. I pray that you would uh, just empower us to go out from here to be salt and light into the, in this world, Father. Help us to be bright lights and to further your kingdom for your, for your glory and your honor and your praise, Father. Continue to strengthen us. Continue to build us up in the faith. I pray that we would be united in the spirit and bless this offering, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Love you, brother. Love you. Matt, his Bible is marked up. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. All right. How is everybody? Blessed? Big time blessed, amen? I don't want to interrupt the uh, offering, but it's a good time to, I got to be efficient today, really efficient, because we have a slideshow. Uh, now, when we get into this, Tony, are you operating from there or is it from up there? I was going to do it from my laptop, but we didn't get it all hooked up in time, so I'll be following the presentation on my laptop, and then we'll be the same thing will be up there, so you'll see a bunch of slides today. Uh, hopefully this will be a really encourage, a real strong encouragement to bring glory to God. Uh, Tony said, "Oh man." He goes, "Oh, we're doing that today. 
I go, yeah, I told you yesterday or last week, put it on the laptop so we could do it next week. And uh, he heard the put it on the laptop part, but not the next week part. But it didn't matter because Tony's always got away. So he said, oh, we can still do it, you know, but you can't, you know, I have to do this for me. So I thought, well, man, this is what we have. You already got up there, bro. It's great. So I thought we could do another route too because this is what I had prepared for today. Prepared this, spent a lot of time on this a long time ago. You can tell when I go through the presentation. But uh, I thought worst case scenario, we'll do question and answer. That's a good time too, right? Would you guys prefer the creation slide thing or the question and answer? Slides, hands, slides? Uh, oh, there's a lot. Q&A, hands, Q&A? Q&A? Oh, we got some Q&A. All right. You guys must not like the answers I give. You know, just kidding. Uh, it's because you know this thing's ready to go. This thing's, a lot of work's been put in this. I, I would fall back on Q&A as like, wow, you know, the dog ate my homework kind of thing. But here it is, so we're good, you know. Uh, and we have a good time doing that. We do that once in a, once in a while as well. It's always a blessing because we have the best answers. They're right in God's word. All right, so uh, let's bow our hearts. Father God, we come to your presence and... We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. We thank you, Father, for all the uh, brothers that, and sisters that stepped up to help with the youth room, Father. And wow, it looks so beautiful. And a little stage there and just a, a lot of room not only to worship, but to seek you and praise you. And, and we pray, Father, even as we continue to meet, Father, even through the COVID situation, Father, continue to seek you, Father. We know a lot of people were concerned and, and uh, there was reason, some reason to be concerned. Uh, it could be deadly, but at the same time, Father, there's... Uh, nothing more important than worshiping you and not forsaking the fellowship of ourselves together. So we thank you that we can get together and praise you and worship you and that you provided this place for us, Father. Uh, you provided the finances. Uh, you're just so good. We pray that you would continue to meet our needs according to your riches and glory. We pray, Father, that most of all, first and foremost, always you would meet our spiritual needs, that our daily bread, not only physically but spiritually, your Son, the bread of life, would fill us up to the utmost, Father. The fullness of Christ would dwell in our hearts and and we'd be yielded to you. We pray, Father, that as we get into the witness of your creation, Father, that you would indelibly in each of us imprint uh, that witness and we'd be receptive to who you are and that we would not just know in our hearts that you are the creator of all things, Lord God, but that you deserve praise and worship because you've, it's by your will, Father, that we breathe, that we, we eat, that we move about, that we have existence, and you deserve all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Praise God. A lot of you guys have come a long way, man. Kenny, you came all the way from Idaho. It's good to see Brother Kenny there, right? Amen. That's a, did you drive or fly? Uh, flew. flew. Are your arms tired? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, praise God. I'm glad you, you know, that he's dedicated. That's a long way to fly. Just come to church on a Sunday morning. That's awesome, you know. <laughs> good to see Kenny. We miss you guys. All right. Uh, first slide. Uh, this is just how this presentation was when... Uh, I've done it at uh, events that, have, or actually I did it in Canada when I was invited there uh, to do a sermon conference. I've done a few of those there. I did this actually when I debated the skeptics of Ventura County, a kind of a Darwinian atheistic group. And Rich and I both had a presentation. It was supposed to be a debate, but they decided they didn't want to debate it. And they just said, hey, we'll let you guys speak and then we'll have Q&A. Well, then that'd be instead of us debating two guys, basically debating their entire group. <laughs> <laughs> which it went really well. In fact, uh, their leader uh, said that we got the best of it because, well, we had slick presentations. Well, hopefully the presentation, it's not all about the presentation, it's about the truth that's in the presentation, right? So anyway, uh, because 
It's impossible to prove there's no God, right? Absolutely impossible. How do you prove that? It's impossible. But there's a ton of evidence in with the energy, the power, the design, consciousness, awareness, you know, uh, on and on. And uh, so this is called atheism versus God and his seven fundamental laws. And I basically, you know, put what I believe are seven evidences, seven basic laws in the creation that we witness. And, and let's go to the next slide. Uh, we read in the scripture, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? This is Psalm 19.1. I'm sorry, go below Psalm 19 to the yellow print. Have they never heard, have they? This is Paul in Romans. Indeed they have, meaning the lost, the people that don't know God, the pagans. Their voice, he's talking about the creation, has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now go up above that and you see Psalm 19.1, which Paul is actually referencing here. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. You cannot look at creation and think it was just all an accident, you know? some cosmic burp out of nothingness. And then boom, we have the solar systems and the galaxies and, uh, and so forth. So we're gonna be looking at this. Let's go to the next slide. Charles Darwin though had done a really powerful job in eliminating God and the love of God and the fear of God from people's consciousness through his book, Origin of the Species. Uh, he said, what a book, before he wrote it, what a book a devil's chaplain might write on the clumsy, wasteful, blundering, low and horridly cruel works of nature, end quote. He's, he's expressing himself. You can see his heart right there. He wants to disprove or wants to come against God by saying, trying to find the things that are the, the most lowly in creation. By the way, the Bible says God made us and made everything and it was good. And we came to man, it was very good, amen? The Bible says God made us upright, but man has sought out many devices. There's a fall of man, amen? There was a mutation in nature. Thorns and thistles came up. There's pain, disease because of man's rebellion against God. But he thinks he could point at the fruit of that rebellion and ignore the fact as to what caused the problems that we see in nature and point to them to everybody discount the grandeur and the beauty and the power of creation. You can't do that, not for a thinking person. Okay, so he said a devil's chaplain, by the way, and I've got, I can't spend too much time on any slide. I'm already doing it, so I'm gonna like try to watch the clock and be really good here. But I do wanna say this. About a few slides, I'll probably go off a little bit. And this is one I got to say a little more. A devil's chaplain. What's he talking about, devil's chaplain? If you realize what he's talking about, this is even more loaded. Because a devil's chaplain was a guy that was known to go on the universities and dress up like a preacher and would blaspheme God. Okay? And in fact, he was in prison more than once for blaspheming God in, in England. And he was known as the devil's chaplain. And that's where he went to school. And he said, would it be great to write a book like that? You guys, he had a hatred toward God, okay? He knew he existed. He admitted that God existed. But he tried to distance God from uh, creation by saying, basically, God, isn't it wonderful at the end of Origin of Species that God did this through evolution? But then in late subsequent uh, editions of that book, he dropped God out of it because he had an agenda. In his Origin of Species, uh, when, it came, when it was uh, just hot off the press, uh, he wrote to a man by the name of Huxley, Thomas Huxley, who was um, his Darwin's bulldog. See, Darwin was very sickly. And many, 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 many writers that are fond of Darwin believe it was psychosomatic. He had all these internal weird problems and a lot of people believed it was emotional. I believe it was very spiritual too because of, his, uh, he was, because of what he was doing with regard to the creator. And uh, he couldn't even come out and debate it for the most part. So Thomas Huxley was his bulldog, called Darwin's bulldog. And they would correspond. 
Well, the great thing is when I'm quoting a lot of these things from Darwin, they're from his letters, things he would not know would come to print when he was not even really accepted at first, right? And it's very enlightening. So he writes a letter to Huxley, his bulldog, and then he has a little PS at the end. I've seen this online. I've seen the letter more than once. He says, to my good and kind agent for the propagation of the gospel, i.e. the devil's gospel. That's Charles Darwin, guys. He's the devil's chaplain preaching the devil's gospel. This is spiritual. But keep in mind, uh, those who are caught up in atheism and so forth, they're blind. The Bible says they're, they're blind. The natural mind is blind to spiritual things, okay? So you can show these evidence for us Christians, like obvious, because we know what's going on. But we pray their eyes are opened, amen? Alfred Wallace. A lot of people, when they talk about Darwinism and the origin of the species and evolution, they think Darwin was the originator of it. It actually goes back to his grandpa, you know, uh, Erasmus, it goes back further into, you know, Hinduism and a bunch of mysticism and, and, and so forth and, and occultism. But the co-founder of the official theory, Origin of the Species, was another guy with Darwin named Alfred Wallace. They both had developed the theory at the same time, which is quite, quite amazing. Uh, next slide. This is a letter from the Royal Society uh, to Wallace in 1890, and he's given an award because they recognize him literally as in the lower part he says as independent originator of the theory of the origin of species okay of natural selection he was a co-creator with darwin but why did they focus on darwin why was all the focus on darwin and not him they got together they acknowledged each other you know well guess what this guy he was an occultist next slide uh he was i gotta remember that you guys are not with me on this i gotta you're doing great guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tony knows me too well. Uh, attended several seances to contact spirits. Discovered evolution while in a trance. Uh, taught occult spirits were guiding human evolution. Now he acknowledged that there was something behind evolution in his mind. Okay? We believe that God created, as the scriptures say, male and female according to their kinds. Put seeds, it says right there in Genesis, to propagate uh, uh, species of uh, uh, plants and so forth and, and animals and, and, and uh, as far as birthing and, and so forth, eggs, all that stuff. But it's interesting, he was a full-blown occultist. And he said, he said, he actually said it was obviously there's a mind behind it because you could take somebody out of the jungle who knows nothing and all of a sudden they can do math and everything else once you teach them excel at philosophy and everything else because their minds are already way beyond the jungle, okay? So he, he would at least acknowledge that, but he was an occultist. This has, so you have Darwin talking about being the devil's chaplain, preaching the devil's gospel, and you have this guy as an occultist pushing evolution, which is all about getting, away, getting rid of who? God, Darwinism. Because if you could destroy the foundation, notice they go after the foundation, the very creation. If the foundations are gone, it says, how shall the righteous stand, Amen. So Satan goes after the foundation of creation because if there's no creation, then everything's meaningless. There's no real value in life. There's no real right or wrong, good or evil, right? Things don't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody beats up somebody to a pulp and someone rapes a little kid. That can't be wrong because we're all just a result of, according to Darwinism, you know, result of just blind chance. If there's no transcendent objective morality by a transcendent moral law giver, then you cannot argue you, until, you can argue till you're purple, but you can't convince anybody ultimately of a good reason to be good other than that, that they'll make them more comfortable in society, you know? So it's interesting. Uh, we're looking at the foundations being destroyed because if there's no creation and there's no fall of man and man didn't fall and basically we're basically evolving upward and there wasn't a fall from a state of being created in the image of God, uh, then there's no need for redemption. 
There's no sin. There's no need for a sin bearer, the Savior. You see how Satan attacks through these type of people? Now, here is a Pierre a Tahard de Chardin. And Pierre, some call him Tahard, some call him Talhard uh, de Chardin. He basically is the father of the New Age movement for many people. I proved that Aleister Crowley, well, just like, you know, just like uh, Darwin had his co-founder, uh, this would be Crowley's perhaps co-founder, along with a mother of the New Age movement, Madame Blavatsky. But anyway, this guy is huge and he affected a lot of the way churches thought because he's a French Jesuit priest, the father of the New Age movement for many people. He taught cosmic spiritual evolution. Material universe has consciousness, so he tried to make it spiritual. Uh, theosis and, and divinization that we become gods. Sound familiar? All these guys at the front, they're all pushing Satan's lies. The omega point that we're all coming to world unity and everything. Sound familiar? You know, the new world order uh, and, and new spirituality. Now keep in mind, guys, he was one of the guys that was in the forefront of pushing Piltdown Man, okay, who consisted of, a, and by the way, Piltdown Man was like the sterling evidence for many people that evolution is real. We finally found the missing link. By the way, Darwin himself said the fossil record just, he recognized it destroyed the Darwinism. But he said, hopefully in time, we'll find a bunch of these, you know, these missing links. Well, guess what? They've tried and tried. By the way, do you know there's millions of species? There should be all kinds of, there should be millions of missing links from one place to another in different species, right? All over. There be, there's tens of millions of fossils. How come they don't find them? By the way, Piltdown Man, who uh, Pierre uh, was one of the guys who helped. Oh yeah, look what we discovered, you know? It was actually a human skull joined with a ape jaw. That reminds me of Nebraska Man. That reminds me of Nebraska Man, because Nebraska Man, they, you can see pictures of Nebraska Man, his wife, his, all his families, which was supposed to be some kind of transition between ape and man. And guess what? They found out it was all made from just a tooth. Nebraska Man. Just one tooth. And they found out it was an extinct pig's tooth. No kidding. Piltdown Man, they found, was filed. The job was filed. It was a purposeful hoax to push Darwinism. In fact, Piltdown Man, that it was in textbooks for 40 years, okay? So, by the way, a lot of these guys aren't really about science. They're about pushing an agenda. I mean, think about it. Look at how off science, so-called science is. We're into true science. Science is just a fancy word for knowledge. You know that, right? Don't get afraid of the word science. It just simply means knowledge. The question is, is it accurate or inaccurate knowledge, right? But think of all the inaccurate knowledge. Right now, we've killed over 60 million babies, right? In our country alone. Well, they're not really human persons. What are they, cats, feline, canine? You, you, you destroy an eagle's egg, man, you're in big trouble. Do you know that? That's an eagle in there you killed. Oh, but that's not a baby. That's not scientific. Science says that that is biological life. It's growing. Do you have biological life that's growing that's not life? Absolutely not. It's not any other kind of life but human life. But, we, but in the name of science, well, we can, you know, they're not really humans. That's a lie. We all know it's a lie. The idea that there's hundreds, perhaps, or at least scores and scores of different genders, not just male and female, right? That's not, is that scientific? Yes or no? No. You got XX, you got XY, you know? You don't have XY, you know. You might, if you have uh, uh, someone that's born with a condition where they have male and, and female sex organs, that would be the only difference. But we'd all say that that is a, that's the anomaly and it's a tragic thing, you know. But when you are obviously a male or a female, you say, well, I'm really this, you know. 
It's just heartbreaking. It's because that's a denial of science, and that's very popular, by, pushed by the left. And just with the whole pandemic, all kinds of things we've heard. Fauci, over and over again. The mask, you know, the first couple times, he's like, the mask doesn't even work, you know? You can wear it, it makes you feel better. All of a sudden, the masks work really, really good. Fauci, the same guy. Maybe you should wear two masks. Wow. Did all of a sudden everything just change overnight? Oh, well, he was lying because, at first, because, well, he was lying either way. He's lying. I'm sorry. And oh, the, 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 the uh, so-called vaccination. Oh, you know, the vaccination is going to be just like, it's going to work for everybody pretty much is what they said. Now they're fine. I think in Massachusetts, it was what percent of people that were vaccinated? I think it was 40% or something like that. 40% of the new cases of those who got the disease were, uh, you know, had been vaccinated. Oh, and you're not hearing a lot of things. I've, I've had COVID, right? And I've told people it came out in the news, but then it just got kind of ignored because 1,300 people, the Cleveland Clinic, okay, which has is a medical association with thousands, thousands, thousands of people. They followed over 5,000 people, 13 of which had COVID and are now immune to it. They followed all 1,300 people to see what would happen. They didn't, that didn't take the vaccine after they got COVID. Last time I saw the report is still not one of those has those that were laboratorily proven to have had COVID. Not one of them has got COVID. But if you get the vaccine, there's a good chance you could still get it, right? But how often do you hear that in the news? I'm sorry. I got to be honest. This is just not dishonest. They don't talk about that. They act like it's better to have the vaccination than to have already had COVID. That's a lie. Okay? That's not science. So I'm saying you got to be really, really careful with the science. And I'm not lording over you guys. You need to do your own research and, and pick what you think's right and so forth. I know everybody's in different situations, but there are a lot of lies out there that are swirling around. And I already mentioned to you, I showed you where Amazon was going to like pushing the cashless idea that so we can have social distancing when we purchase things so you don't have to actually use cash money and everything. And they, they said in light of COVID and stuff, I'm like, you guys realize where this is headed, right? This is scary stuff, Okay because people like power. And that's why they could push things like this because they want to have the power. They don't want you to fear and love God. Okay? Now, we're, of course, we're commanded in Scripture to obey the laws of the land, but not when they contradict the Word of God. Amen? So you have to assess everything and say, does this contradict Scripture or not? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppress, the Greek word means to hold down. They hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, and it goes on to say, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So it's telling us that people, because of our hearts are evil, they're fallen. How many of you know that you can't just go with whatever comes in your heart? You know, that all kinds of evil thoughts come in. Amen. But a lot of people say, well, they don't fear God. They don't love God. They don't love people. So they go with those evil thoughts, but they want to justify them. Therefore they say, oh, well, there's no God. I'm not accountable. That's wicked. Uh, this is Carl Sagan. Sagan, a lot of you remember him. If you're a little bit older, he had a show on television for years. He says, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. And he's saying, basically, our ancestors worshiped the sun. So since the cosmos, we should just worship the creation. 
worship the stars and the sun. That's exactly what Paul said would happen, right? They'd worship the cre- creation rather than the creator, okay? And then they'd be given over all, to all kinds of sexual sin, next slide, and uh, a perversion and, and, and homosexuality and so forth because they'd reject God's moral law. Okay, next slide. We'll just pass this up. This is a, lead, well, a former president of, of a, a Nazarene college who admits that they would whisper into the ears. Part of their agenda was to, there's really no creator, you know, that created humanity. You know, next slide. So you got to watch where you send your kids or where you go to seminary or, or Bible school. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Amen. Abraham Lincoln said this, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. It might be possible. Maybe they could do that that way. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. I agree with so-called honest Abe there. You can't look at creation and honestly say there's no God. We'll pass up the uh, Paul Walker slide. This obviously I did a long time ago and I didn't delete some of these. Sir Isaac Newton, he's considered by many to be the greatest scientist that ever lived, whether it's optics or gravity or you know, all kinds of things, right? Uh, unfortunately, they buried Darwin right next to him. And he was a avid creationist. In fact, he believed that the Bible was the word of God. In fact, he actually wrote a whole book on Daniel's Bible prophecies as evidence that God inspired the Bible. And he's considered by many to be the greatest scientist who ever lived. He says, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel of and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Albert Einstein, many would say he was the greatest scientist ever lived. He said, in view of such harmony uh, in the cosmos... I, with my limited human mind, am able to recognize there are yet people who say there is no God. But what really makes me angry is that they quote me for support of such views. Because even in his day, atheists were trying to find things to try to make him an atheist. And he's saying he was angry about that because he believed there was obviously a creator. Wasn't a Christian. He said the Lord Jesus Christ, he said of Jesus Christ, was one of the most incredible people that ever walked the earth. If not the most, I can't remember his exact words. But yeah, he's the most incredible person that walked the earth and he's who he's claimed to be. Or he's a liar. He's not the most incredible or one of the most incredible. Amen? Because he claimed to be Lord. Albert Einstein said in the next quote, the fanatical atheists, he called them fanatical, are like slaves who are still feeling the weight of the chains which they have thrown off after hard struggle. They are creatures who, in their grudge against traditional religion as the opiate of the masses, cannot hear the music of the spheres meaning they're just blind to the obvious order in creation. The first law is the law of causality that I want to look at. Out of the se- I'm going to go through seven of them, Lord willing, we'll see. Uh, every effect has a cause. The law of cause and effect, okay? Next slide. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next slide, okay? Evidence for the beginning of the universe is, quote, the most important discovery of the century, if not all time. That's by Stephen Hawking, who died an atheist. But he acknowledged that Einstein called his belief in the hypothetical state, uh, steady state theory. The next uh, slide, you got it. That's good. You're on it. Good job. Uh, man, you guys are good. Einstein called, he's believing the steady state theory. And that was that the creation or that, you know, the, the universe just has always been. I taught that when I was channeling demons before I was a Christian in my line. One of my lines in my songs was, nothing never was and always ever is. 
as though everything always existed. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And Einstein and a lot of the scientists at that time wanted to believe that everything always existed. That way there didn't have to be a creator. Matter, time, space, it's always been here. Well, guess what? <laughs> Einstein got one look through the Hubble telescope and saw with his own eyes how the universe is expanding. Just like the Bible says, he spreads it out like a curtain over and over again, that God's spreading out the universe. And he realized if it's expanding, they did, Hubble and others, wow. And physicists in just virtually all of them just became, uh, almost all of them became, wait a minute, creationists of some sort. There had to be a beginning. They, be, 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 they believed, not that they all said, oh, there's a God now, but they said, wait a minute, this universe did not exist at one time. It's expanding, right? And then, of course, second law of thermodynamics, which we'll get into a little bit, it's also winding down, right? The universe is winding down. Therefore, it had to have a beginning. So what happened with regard to them understanding the expanding universe is scientists realized there was a beginning point. Then they started talking about the Big Bang more, things of that nature. But Einstein called his belief in the hypothetical steady state theory, quote, the greatest blunder of my life, end quote. Because it, it affected all of the way he viewed cosmology. Next slide. Uh, philosophically, according to Arthur Eddington, uh, philosophically, the notion of a beginning of the present order of nature is repugnant to me. See that? Eddington didn't want to believe it, though. He was battling that idea, even though the evidence showed otherwise. So he said, philosophically, philosophically, meaning not with empirical objective evidence, but philosophically, meaning deep down how I want to feel, ultimately, is what he's saying. The notion of a beginning of the present order of nature is repugnant to me. I should like to find a genuine loophole. He's like, man, now we got to believe there's a creator. i got to look for another loophole. The point is, do you understand where many of these guys, just like it says in Romans 1, do not want to believe in God, amen? They don't want to recognize their creator. They don't want to be under his authority. They don't want to be accountable. They want to be involved because, these, keep in mind, these scientists aren't these robots. These are fallen human beings, and the Bible says that the natural man is an enmity with God. They cannot please God, and they're, they're children of wrath, and they're hostile to God. That's what the Bible says. Read Romans chapter 8. Read the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. You'll see that. The hostility in the heart toward God. And guess what? So when they try to, they try to look at the evidence, well, they'll shuffle it to ways, and he's saying he had a hard time with this. Oh, no, that was the beginning. I gotta, that's repugnant, the whole idea that there's a creator, so I've got to find a loophole. And guess what? They keep trying to find loopholes. Next slide. John Maddox also attacked the idea uh, that the universe had a beginning as, quote, thoroughly unacceptable because it implied a, quote, ultimate origin of our world. He didn't want to believe that. It gave creationists an ample justification for their beliefs in God. Oh, absolutely it does give us ample. We already, we already didn't even tell the Hubble telescope to know that, right? That's the creator, you know? Uh, Robert Jastrow. Now, Robert Jastrow was one of the top NASA scientists for years, incredibly respected, a Nobel Prize winner and so forth. He said, astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which can, uh, you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in the cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces that they cannot hope to discover. Bummer for them, right? That there are what I or any of us would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. He's considered one of the most brilliant physicists of his time. Interesting. Arno Penzias, he said, quote, and by the way, he's a, another astronomer, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted 
had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, the Bible as a whole. Isn't that awesome? Come, come in. These, these are physicists that were leaders in their field. There's cause and there is effect. Next slide. Uh, so when we look at this, next slide, uh, the cause and effect relationship between things. We'll go one more. When you're wondering who ate the cake, right? Or how did the kid get cake on his face? Do you think it just happened? No, we don't know what happened, but we know what happened. And we know it didn't just appear. Amen? And if he said, I don't know what happened. I was in this warm pond, Mom, and it just emerged out of that. Right. Uh, next slide. Richard Dawkins, who is the, face, uh, the, the poster boy, the most famous of atheists now, for many years now, a poster boy of militant atheism, he says, the fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved out of, look what he says. I didn't doctor this quote. I don't doctor quotes. This is him. Out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. <laughs> as, as though he can think he can even, how do you even start, right? He realizes it's ridiculous. But he so much doesn't want there to be a creator. So he says, but they know that time, space, and matter did not exist. And before that, you either have a creator that creates it or it comes out of nothing. So they opt for literally nothing, which breaks the fundamental law of science called cause and effect. I mean, it's the most ludicrous breakage of that law. It's the most ridiculous breakage of that law. If you have nothing, so I got a picture of a jar and I put nothing in it. And uh, no, I didn't really do that. It already had nothing in it, but actually it has something. It has air, has bacteria, it has all kinds of things in it. Actually, you just can't see atoms, molecules, so forth, right? But let's imagine there's absolutely nothing in there. Literally nothing, as Dawkins admitted. How long would you have to wait until that became this entire universe? How long? Forever. Forever. Talking, uh, answer from a very, very scientific chemist right there. Deals with chemistry and stuff, biology, and so, or more biology and so forth. Amen. Praise God. And I love your beard, ma'am. You look way better with that beard than Darwin did. <laughs> Amen. Now, uh, you'd have to wait forever. Let's just be honest, guys. You could put a toad in there. It's still not going to become the universe. You can kiss the frog, and it's not going to become a prince. Okay. Next slide. You know, I did this presentation for the atheists and so forth, and I don't even know why I put that one up there. So let's go to the next one. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I got more Einstein later. Uh, Stephen Hawking. Bodies such as stars or black holes can not just appear out of nothing, but a whole universe can. Do you realize how ridiculous this is? Oh, it's Stephen Hawking. It must be just such a profound statement. No, it's, it's a contradiction. It's ridiculous. Okay, because didn't want to believe in the creator. Robert Jastrow again, NASA scientist. The universe and everything that has happened in it since the beginning of time are a grand effect without a known cause. An effect with a known cause? That is not the, uh, that is not the world of science. Okay? An effect with a known cause? That is not the world of science. It's a world of witchcraft, a, of wild events and whims of demons and medieval world that science has tried to banish. Well, no wonder you have Darwin and Wallace, the co-founders of the Origin of the Species, both talking about the devil and the occult and things of that nature tied to the origin of their own writings. 
Victor Stenger, uh, a lot of these guys are leading, you may not recognize some of the names, but if you're in the scientific community, you recognize a lot of these names as you study these, these subjects. Uh, and a lot of these guys are atheists with admissions. Uh, was their universe created? He writes, quote, I must admit that there are yet no known empirical or observational tests that can be used to test the theory. <laughs> to test the theory that everything came out of nothing. We don't, have, we don't know how to test it yet. As though you're gonna ever, I mean, how would you test that? It's just ridiculous. Alexander Vlenkin, okay, uh, creation and the universe from nothing. A guy that's trying to, that's his viewpoint. The concept of the universe being created from nothing, I'm sorry, he's actually refuting. I'm sorry, I, I don't want to uh, tar Alexander Vlenkin because he's actually refuting in the scientific community saying this is a ridiculous theory. The concept of the universe being created from nothing is a crazy one, he says. Uh, now, uh, what, uh, what Tryon was suggesting, a guy he's refuting, was that our entire universe came from nothing. Everybody thought that was a very funny joke. But Tryon was not joking. He was devastated by the reaction of his colleagues because the scientific community was like, like, that's a joke, right? Now guess what the scientific community, a lot of them postulate. That hypothesis. Have they found any evidence for it? Other than no evidence at all? Yeah, because they haven't found any evidence. They just don't want to believe in a creator. So something that starts off as a joke, well, maybe we came from pond scum. Everybody would laugh at that. Well, now it's believed. Well, maybe everything really came ultimately from literally nothing, Dawkins. Now, a lot of top scientists believe it. When you see the word scientist by someone's name, you need to not just say, oh, wow, whatever he says is gospel. No, a lot of times it's just lies. Next slide. 18th century Scottish skeptic David Hume and he was antichrist, okay? He said, I never asserted so absurd a proposition that anything might arise without a cause, okay? He realized how ridiculous it was back then, but now they're accepting this. There's no evidence, okay? This is Ralph Essling in letters to the editor when the Skeptical Inquirer, which is very anti-God, anti-Christ uh, magazine. There's no evidence so far that the entire universe, observable and unobservable, emerged from a state of absolute nothingness. They got to admit that, okay? Uh, let's skip this next slide. And we've got a, a little clip here we're going to play for you in a minute, but it's interesting because listen to what your children are being indoctrinated with on, like, for instance, Animal Planet. This is ridiculous. Uh, you guys can play that clip. What? To understand these facts, we've had to turn to science. Where is that loud enough? Come from? And how did they get so darn outrageous? Well, it all started with nothing. And then something. Well, it all started with nothing. And then something that may have looked a bit like this probably happened. Invisible space dust split by unimaginable forces created planets. The last time we checked, there were nine of them, including this one, which we like to call Earth. Before there was anything in space, how did nothing become something? I have an answer for that. I've asked every. Wait for it, guys. It's profound. No yeah, I have an answer. You ready? Okay. We have no clue. <laughs> That's an answer. 
Okay. It's like a kid doing this. Well, the difference is, often when a kid does this, it's because the kid doesn't know the answer, but maybe somebody else does. When I say we don't know, I'm talking about everybody who knows anything doesn't know. And we have top people working on that question. Come on, guys. Are you impressed with the answer? Did he prove it to any of you? Because she may not have the answer, but they do. We're working on it. <laughs> oh, Lord, God have mercy. Help, help him and everybody else. The second law I want to talk about is love. Uh, uh, the first law of thermodynamics, okay? And we, like I said, we're going through seven. It took me quite a while to get through the first one, so I'm going to have to speed up. But energy and matter, the first law of thermodynamics, cannot be naturally created or destroyed, okay? You, as a natural part of the natural universe, cannot create, uh, you know, <laughs> a matter uh, or destroy it. You can burn a piece of wood, but it turns into another form of energy, always, you know, a lower form of energy, typically. Uh, but we read, and Robert Jastrow, again, the NASA scientist, astronomer, says, but the creation of matter out of nothing would violate a cherished concept in science. The principle of conversation, I'm sorry, the principle of the conservation of matter and energy, which states that matter and energy can be neither created nor destroyed. It is difficult to accept a theory that violates such a firmly established scientific fact. Okay? So the idea that nothing would create everything is bad enough, but that you try to have creation that comes from just a natural source rather than a supernatural force. With Jastra, I believe there was a supernatural force behind it. Uh, you'd be breaking the first law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics, everything is devolving toward chaos. We are not evolving toward becoming a brand new species because what's in your DNA and what's written in your, D your DNA co code, the, the genome, is what you are, okay? And we're not, be the genome is not changing, becoming more advanced with new information to where we're gonna sprout wings eventually, okay? The point is, is that we are devolving. In fact, every generation we lose more and more information that's part of the genetic code. Do you know that in our species? We're not gaining information, we're losing it. There's called mutations, which are almost always, almost always deleterious, not beneficial. And if there's a benefit from it, which we'll talk about a little bit later, it's because you lost information, not because you gained information. And that, and that happened to be advantageous because of a situation that you were in. For instance, if you are a moth and you lose part of your genetic code, it's a loss, but your color might change. And since your color's not as vibrant, you might not get eaten as much as the other moths now and your, your, your moth family will grow. But it's not because you became something better, it's because you lost information. Are you with me? So they're almost always negative. So the second law of thermodynamics, Dr. John Sanford. Okay, Sanford, this guy is a pretty amazing scientist. He's one of the scientists who developed the gene gun at Cornell University, which fires genes into plant cells uh, and revolutionized genetic engineering. Okay, now it's interesting because Dr. John Sanford says, I was totally sold on evolution. I'm sorry, you're on the right one. I skipped two ahead on accident. He said, mutations are always, uh, mutations are word processing errors in the cell's instruction manual. Mutations systematically destroy genetic information, even as word processing errors destroy written information. Catch that? While there are some rare beneficial mutations, even as there are rare beneficial misspellings, bad mutations outnumber them perhaps by a million to one. So even allowing for beneficial mutations, the net effect of mutations is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly deleterious. The more the mutations, the less the information. This is fundamental to the mutation process. You guys understand that? 
Okay, in other words, you, you have information that says, hey, you're gonna be this tall, this is what yours gonna look like, this is what your color eyes gonna be, this is how this organ's gonna be and, and how it's gonna work. And it's, it's just amazing, your DNA code. It's already there. There's no evidence that it evolved into something. The only evidence suggests, and it doesn't suggest, we know that you lose information in your genetic code. Okay, that's why we have diseases and everything else. If you wanna explain, uh, if you wanna talk about genes, let's be honest with what's going on there. Okay, uh, next slide. This same gentleman who developed a, a gene gun, Dr. John Sanford says, quote, I was totally sold on evolution. It was my religion. It defined how I saw everything. It was my value system, my reason for being. Later, I came to believe in God. I would say Jesus opened my eyes to his creation. I was blind and gradually I could see. Pretty awesome, amen? Praise God. Well, uh, in a second, we're gonna, in a minute, we'll play a video by Dawkins because he's asked about giving examples of where the genetic code has gained information. Given, he wants, they're asking him for that. Hey, can you give an example? Just, just one example where genetic code is gaining information that's beyond what we are as humans now. Can't remember the exact words, but we have his answer here. Now his answer is very, very, very profound, but not as profound as, you know, the Grassi's which wasn't anything, right? Let's watch his answer. Can you give an example of a genetic mutation or, or, or an evolutionary process which ha can be seen to increase the information in the genome? Can you just stop one? I think. No, I did not loop that. That's just painful, you know. He's the foremost atheist, guys. He's a biologist. I saw someone give an answer when I captured that years ago. Somebody said, "Well, of course, every time a man and a woman get together and they procreate, it mixes her DNA with his DNA. That's still what? It's the same human DNA. <laughs> it's like they're just deceiving themselves." The human DNA isn't growing in information. Okay, uh, next slide. The law of biogenesis. The law of biogenesis. Darwin taught that, you know, perhaps there was a, a pond, a warm pond, and, and, and pond scum, and, and lightning, and, and that's where the first life just appeared. And, well, the law of biogenesis tells us that that's a lie. That's called the belief that Darwin had was spontaneous generation, you know? The, the idea that things, life spontaneously was generated through dead matter. Okay, that's not scientific. In fact, all life that has a beginning depends on already existing life. You know that, right? But that wasn't believed by so many people in Darwin's day because they would see all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, they pick up a big old, an old, you know, sheet and rats would come out or mice. Whoa, look what the, the sheet produced. Or they would see a piece of old meat or garbage, they see maggots on it. And they think the maggots just came out of dead matter. That's what they thought, a lot of them. But you guys remember, who disproved that, by the way? Anybody remember his name? His name was Lewis Pasteur. We, amen, Hannah. We get pasteurization from him. Uh, who was, by the way, a strong believer in the Creator. And by the way, before we get to him, uh, Fred Hoyle, 
Sir Fred Hoyle was a, a physicist, a Nobel Prize winner, a mathematician, astronomer. He said the hypothesis of life arising on earth by natural means is comparable with the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. Okay. Louis Pasteur, he said, uh, he's the French chemist I mentioned to you, uh, had a lot to do with microfermentation or uh, fermentation, pasteurization. Uh, he's the one that disproved it. Uh, I mean, a lot of people already didn't believe it, really thought it was ridiculous. But George Simpson, who's called, nickname was Mr. Evolution, he says, quote, there is serious doubt that biogenesis is the rule, that life comes only from other life, that a cell, the unfit, uh, the unit of life, is always and exclusively the product of offspring of another cell. Okay? That's just amazing to me. Let's look at Wald here. And I'm going to pass up some longer quotes, but this one's worth it. I want to just show you how they have to, they, they, they see the evidence against them, but it shows you that Darwinism is a religion. They have faith without evidence. Our faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, is based on the evidence. Amen? They're based on the evidence of things not seen. How do we have evidence of things not seen? Take out your hand real quick. Can you put your hand in front of your face if you don't mind. And blow on your hand. Did you see the error? No, there's evidence of things not seen. The atom, you can't see the atom. Now with micron uh, telescopes we, or microscopes we can. But guess what? We know there's a lot of things we can't see because we see the effect of them, amen? Well, Darwinism, they have no effect that they can show through the process or, or any hard evidence. Listen to what George Wald said. Throughout our history, we have entertained two kinds of views on the origin of life. One, that life was created supernaturally. The other, it, it arose spontaneously, from non-living material. See, these, are, these, these guys are breaking. These guys aren't talking about real science. He says, this great controversy ended in the mid-19th century with the experiments of Louis Pasteur. He says, which seemed to dispose finally of the possibility of spontaneous generation. For almost a century afterward, biologists proudly taught their students this history and the firm conclusion that spontaneous generation has been scientifically refuted and could not possibly occur. Look what he goes on to say, though. One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Yet, here we are, as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. You guys catch that? In other words, all the evidence is against it, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Why? Because they suppress the knowledge of the truth and they do not want to be accountable to God with all the creation all around them shouting at them that he exists. Amen? Are you with me? Next slide. We'll just skip this one. 8.7 million species. And when I first put this presentation together, it's probably closer to 9 million right now. Uh, and by the way, they're finding new species every, every year, all kinds on the earth and under the water. There's so many things we haven't even seen under the water yet. But you notice with almost all the species, they have what? Male and what? Female. Think about that. Male and female. Male and female again, whether it's ducks or pandas or elephants. Now think for a minute. It's ridiculous enough to say that an elephant spontaneously generated. But to procreate, that elephant also has to have what? A male elephant has to have what? A female elephant. And they have to live long enough to be attracted to each other and have the proper sex organs 
and reproductive system among the female to procreate. Just to say that happened by accident with one species is absolutely ridiculous, right? But when you're talking about millions and millions of species where you need a male and a female, which is the norm, right? There's some unisexual things that God created, but usually there's a male and female, just as the Lord said. I mean, do you realize? Let's go to the next slide. Got some giraffes there. This lion, he's looking at the Darwinist right there saying, you're saying they, my wife didn't need me to get this cub here? You know? He's, go to the next slide. The next one. I've heard a talk, and then I've also done my own personal research on just the birthing process and, prior, you know, as far as the ovum and, and, and you know, the zygote, so-called, and, and it's, it's like, um, it's a miracle. It's to me, so, oh, that's natural. It's miracles because God created it, amen? It's, a, it's an effect of God's hand. It's so mind-boggling. So to say that a woman just, that just happened, and then she met a guy and with every, all these different species, do you realize how ridiculous that is if we're being honest? Come on. And evolutionists can't explain that either because you're going to have to exist as different, different sexes that are basically unisex in some way because you can't create until, you know, you can't bring forth a, 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 an offspring until you have a, uh, a, a reproductive system unit in your body that's fully developed. And how does that even develop when you're not even able to have relations until it is developed to have offspring? It just doesn't make any sense. And it just happens that there's male and female of all these different species. It's, I feel, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being honest. I feel almost like an idiot, personally, trying to act like it was even, we can even begin to try to explain it. It's just so ridiculous to say it just happened with all these different species. It's utterly ridiculous. And deep down, a lot of them know it, okay? The, number five, the fifth law. Atheists against the five fundamental laws of creation. The fifth law is intelligent design. The written digital code that demands an author. Did you know that any, you ever see a writing written by somebody, okay, that was intelligible, that had any depth to it, even a paragraph that, that was written by accident? Yes or no? No, it just doesn't happen. Every written language has a what behind it? A mind. Do you know the most radical, most profound, the most functional written language that we have is the DNA genome that's in our body? And every written language has a mind behind it. There's so many evidences for God. There's no evidence that he does not exist. And in fact, atheists will often prove that, they, well, yeah, I can't prove he doesn't exist. Well, why don't you believe? Well, a lot of most admit they don't want there to be a God. Your genetic code. Next slide. Oh, you're there. Your genetic code is written language that is written out. Yours, just in your body alone, okay? With stretch. If it was written out and stretched out, it's written. But if it was all stretched out, all your, all your you know, your genome was fully stretched out. All of them were attached to each other. Uh, it would stretch 744 million miles and would go to the moon and back nearly 1,500 times. That's information in your body. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Give praise to God. Bill Gates. And I don't quote these guys. I'm quoting a lot of guys that I don't agree with on a lot of things. I'm just showing that even people that are not necessarily the best guys and a lot of that are in part of that, the world system that's very anti-God will admit things like Bill Gates says, human DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software we ever created. Okay? That's the IBM guy, right? <laughs> in fact, look at what blows me away is I love to study the past and I still love to look at it is symbiotic relationships 
where one species will not be able to exist if another species doesn't exist. They have to exist at the same time, which they, shows you they couldn't evolve separately. But it's interesting. Here we see, uh, I love the relationship that insects have with plants. Okay, look at this, this plant here. Isn't that a nice, cute bug? Isn't that one of the cutest bugs you've ever seen? Let's get a close-up of him. This guy. Now a close-up. Uh, one more. Right there. That's just... But guess what? That's just a plant. And he's like, come visit me. I'm such a good you know, plant. You can get food, and they get food, and, they, and so forth. But at the same time, the plant's not just blessing the insect. The insect's getting blessed by the plant, for sure. But the insect is also the bee, wasp, or whatever, is carrying its seeds somewhere else. So they have a symbiotic relationship. And it's interesting. Go to the next slide. You have a hammer orchid and a wasp, right? And the wasp is attracted to this thing. It lands on it. You see the other end? He's going to hammer him with that seed. And he's going to fly off like, well, that was a kind of weird experience. He's not even know he's going to be pollinating for that plant. Next slide. We have orchid bee and a bucket orchid. <laughs> okay? He's called the orchid bee because he depends on the orchid. And the bucket orchid depends on the bucket bee to continue to exist. And guess what? He hops, he goes in there, wants to find some food and so forth. He gets stuck. The thing closes in on him. The thing sticks some seeds on him. Then it lets him go. Okay? And he flies away. You know? So isn't that interesting? One of my favorite, I can't find it. If anybody can find it here, I would love to get, get this clip. If, if you're in uh, one of our live stream uh, uh, groups, praise God. If you can find it, I would love to find it because it was on National Geographic or something. I think I was a Christian for just a few years, so it was probably like, you know, over 30 years ago then that would be. Uh, wow, even more than that. But I remember when I was so, I was like, wow, that is so amazing. It was kind of, it was just basically this. One of these bees fly, a, a, a literal bee, you know, bee that we're used to seeing, a honeybee, flies into this deal and he, he gets stuck. He can't climb up. He's at the bottom, and it's a long kind of like tulip-looking thing, you know, and he's trying to climb, and he's sliding down. It's amazing some of the photography they do with these things, man. You're, you're seeing he just, he can't get up, and he gets tired. He's going in circles. Finally, guess what? There's a way of escape. There's a little tiny, you know, tunnel with light. He sees light coming, and he goes through the tunnel. He's, here's my escape. He's going out, and then he gets out, and he perches himself on this little tiny twig, but he can't fly because he's all wet with this oil, you know? It's like, and then guess what? The thing squeezes him, and he's like, now, he, now he's just can't even, he's trying to move his leg. He can't get out of there. And then all of a sudden, you see a tentacle come down, dink, and stick a seed on his head or his back. Tentacle goes back up. It opens up, lets him go. He goes out a little bit further. Still can't fly. The oil dries, he flies off, and he pollinates for, I mean, drops that seed somewhere else. Do you think that just happens? I've got a, a really nice bridge you could buy if you do. I mean, come on, that's just ridiculous. There's a creator, okay? Can we, now, we're, we're, humans are pretty creative, man. Look at the art we do and all that stuff. It's like, oh, so amazing. We can't create that stuff, can we? And we're not even starting with nothingness, amen? We have, you know, we have dirt. I could do what you did, God. No, get your own dirt. You can't even start with dirt. God started, didn't God start with dirt, okay? But you can have all the dirt you want. You can have all these things. You're not, you're, you can't do this. We can plant seeds that God's made, amen? Next slide. Okay, I love this. Is a, uh, these are evolutionists, many of these guys that I'm quoting against evolution. Edred uh, Corner, he says, quote, I still think that to the unprejudiced, because he realized there's a lot of prejudiced scientists, quote-unquote scientists, to the unprejudiced, the fossil record of plants is still in favor of special creation. 
Can you imagine how an orchid, a duckweed, and a palm have come from the same ancestry? And have we any evidence for this assumption? The evolutionist, he says, must be prepared with an answer, but I think that most would break down before an inquisition. He's right. Now I want to talk for a few minutes about the anthropic principle, which I believe bolsters the point I'm giving on the fifth law we're looking at, which is there's intelligent design all around us. It, it, leading cosmologists and physicists, theists, atheists, and agnostics know there are well over a hundred fine-tuning factors that are necessary for life on earth. Fine-tuning that must be so precise that we could not exist without it. The idea that the universe is fine-tuned on a razor's edge for life is indisputable, okay? In fact, Paul Davies, one of the most famous uh, uh, astronomers out there right now, he writes uh, from Arizona University, I believe he's still there. Uh, there is now broad agreement, he says, among physicists and cosmologists that the universe is in several respects fine-tuned for life. Next slide. Here, look at some of these anthropic principles. Anthropic means, it comes from the word anthropos, which is the Greek word we use for humanity, speaking of man, us, male and female, that you need a, uh, the anthropic principle uh, deals with Things being just right so we can live here. Oxygen, we need all these different things, right? Sunlight, photosynthesis, plants, everything. We need all kinds of things. And there's, I believe there's thousands probably, okay? I, don't, I can't prove that, but we know there's a ton of these things, right? Seismic activity, you need earthquakes. If there were more seismic activity, huge earthquakes, like you read it's coming up in the book of Revelation, everybody would be destroyed. If there were less, nutrients on the ocean floors and in the river runoff would not be cycled back to the continents through tectonic uplift. So yeah, we do need earthquakes to sustain life on planet Earth. David Deutsch, he says, and by the way, these are, he's a mathematician from Oxford. He says, quote, if anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he is hiding his head in the sand. These special features are, surprisingly, are surprising and unlikely. Well, they're impossible if there's no God. The anthropic principle of transparencies, the transparency of the uh, atmosphere that we live in. If the atmosphere were less transparent, not enough solar radiation would reach the Earth's surface to sustain living things. If it were more transparent, we would all be burned up by solar radiation. How about moon, Earth, and the gravitational interaction? If the gravitational constant between the moon and the earth were greater, tidal effects on the oceans, atmosphere, and rotational period would be too severe for us, uh, making Earth's winters a hundred degrees colder and our summer a hundred degrees warmer. Is it already, we say, thank you, Lord, it's already hot enough this summer? Amen? Okay. Dr. Dennis Scania, okay, head of the Cambridge University of, Obser of, of uh, Observatories. He says, quote, life could not exist if you change a little bit the laws of nature or you change a little bit the constants of nature like the charge of the, on the electron. Just the charge of the electron, just change a little bit. Just the electron. Things we don't even think about. We couldn't exist. Amazing. How about carbon dioxide level? Okay. In the beautiful creation. And thank Tony, man. Tony got a lot of these. I sent him a lot of slides I want to use. He found some slides as well. And we just, I, he did a great job putting my text with slides. Uh, if CO2 levels were higher, we would burn up because of an escalating greenhouse effect. If CO2 levels were lower, plant life would die and humans would suffocate. Are you grateful for the CO2 levels? 
You should. There's so many things you can. You can take a breath. Thank God. You can look at the sun. Thank God. Look at the plants. Say thank God. Photosynthesis didn't exist. You couldn't exist because the ants, the, the plants wouldn't eat and so forth. The, how about gravity? Scientists estimate that if the gravitational force were altered by an infinitesimal zero point, and I had to count those zeros because I didn't write it down. Thirty-seven zeros after that point one, zero point, all these zeros, thirty-seven of them, and a one percent the sun would not exist and life would not exist stephen hawking admitted the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers i.e he's talking about the constants of physics now seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life you think absolutely how about the centrifugal force the centrifugal force of planetary movements in our solar system is so precisely balanced that if slightly altered, the planets could not orbit around the sun. Okay? How about the atmospheric discharge, lightning? Okay? I was working on a totally different study a few weeks ago, which I can't wait. I'm excited. It's, it's going to be a, a wonderful time when we, we do this. But just look at storms and how God uses storms and how God sometimes reveals himself uh, through storms like he did to Job. And other times in Scripture, it's quite amazing. And I was looking at storms. I started studying different things about storms. I started studying lightning just a few weeks ago, not even realizing I had this as part of my anthropic uh, constant, the atmospheric discharge of lightning. And it's just amazing because our ground needs nutrients, amen? For there, it needs, uh, I'm sorry, it needs uh, nitrogen, okay? If the atmospheric discharge, that's lightning, right, were greater, there would be too much fire destruction, by the way. I was shocked at how many people die a year and how many people get hit with lightning a year. It's way more than you might think. Got a better chance of that happening than winning the lottery for sure. Uh, there would be too much fire destruction. If it were less, there would be too little nitrogen fixings in the soil. We need nitrogen in the soil. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. You need lightning for that to happen. So next time you wonder, why are there earthquakes? Why, are there, why is there lightning? Why is there, you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes be hazardous if you're the wrong place at the wrong time, Right? but actually benefit our planet and allow us to exist. Amen? So we need to be more thankful for the things that we say. By the way, I love lightning. I wish we had, was it me or we, if you were here years ago in Simi Valley, it seemed like we had more lightning storms. I miss them, you know? Just don't let it hit my house, Lord. Don't miss them that much. How about Steven Weinberg, okay? Life in the quantum universe. He writes, the universe should allow for the existence of beings who would observe it. Life as we know it would be impossible if any one of several physical quantities had slightly different values. They keep saying the same thing. I'm just letting you know, a lot of the evolutionists, a lot of the Darwinists, along with obviously uh, creationists and so forth, recognize that there's this anthropic principle that's just mind-blowing. The speed of light. A slight variation in the speed of light from 299,792,458 uh, meters per second would prohibit any possibility of life on Earth. Just a slight variation of the speed of light. Amazing. How about the Earth's crust? If the Earth's crust were thicker, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to support life. If the Earth's crust were thinner, too much volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. How about the next slide? We're talking about water vapor levels. If atmospheric water vapor levels were greater, temperatures would rise too high to sustain human life. If they were less, the Earth would be too cold to support human life. I love this quote from Frederick Hoyle. He's the guy that talked about the Boeing 747 being created out of a, winds, a tornado through a junkyard, how that would be what, same as evolution. He says, quote, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintendent has monkeyed with the physics as well as chemistry and biology <laughs> and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. 
I do not believe that any physicist who examined the evidence could fail to draw the inference that the laws of nuclear physics have been deliberately designed with regard to the consequences they produce within stars. How about the Earth's rotation? The Earth's rotation, if it was longer uh, than 24 hours, temperatures uh, differences would be too long between night and day. If the Earth's rotation were shorter, incredibly high wind velocities would destroy the atmosphere. How about oxygen levels? Oxygen levels. I love this one. Oxygen on Earth comprises a perfect 21% of the atmosphere. If oxygen were just a few percentage points higher, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it were a few percentage points lower, human beings would suffocate. Thank you, Jesus, for the oxygen. How about the tilt of our the axis? Well, 23 degree axis tilt on the Earth is perfect. If the tilt were altered ever so slightly, surface temperatures would be far too extreme for life on planet Earth. How about Earth's distance from the sun? If planet Earth were only 1% closer to the sun, the oceans would soon vaporize and life on Earth, 1%, guys, and life would be impossible. If Earth were merely 2% farther from the sun, just 2%, the oceans would instantly freeze and rain would not exist, and thus life would be non-existent. You guys see that we've been perfectly created to be here? God's created this environment. How about the sun's mass? The mass of the sun were smaller, a small, uh, just a small percentage greater, I'm sorry. It would burn too quickly and erratically to support life. If it were smaller, its greater flaring would disrupt Earth's rotational rate. This is one of my favorites. Jupiter, biggest planet in our solar system. I'm very thankful that the Lord made Jupiter. If Jupiter was not our largest planet, 300 times the size of Earth, and uh, its present uh, orbit, the Earth would likely be pulverized by comets and asteroids. Listen to this. Jupiter's gravitational field functions as a cosmic vacuum cleaner, attracting a comet that ripped a hole in Jupiter's surface in 2010, the size of the Pacific Ocean. Thank the Lord that he created Jupiter to suck up all this stuff that could otherwise hit the Earth. It's a vacuum cleaner, okay? God knows what he's doing, amen? And he does these things, I believe, on purpose. He could have did it in a lot of different ways, but he's letting let us see his power, you know, who he is and how, he, how good he is. Richard Dawkins admitted, quote, the more statistically improbable a thing is, the less can we believe that it just happened by bland chance. Superficially, the obvious alternative of chance is an intelligent designer. So he recognizes it, it, it's ridiculous to have my chance, but he said, but it's just superficial to say it took an intelligent designer. He's saying the only other option really is superficial. It's because he does not want to believe in God. You know, he's responsible along with some others that he's worked with of getting posters up in England and elsewhere on buses and stuff that, to, to, that, that rip creation and so forth. And, and one of his was a, 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 a family, right? And I don't know, the father and his son, I don't know if the wife was there. And they're just such happy. He goes, look, you can be a, a gratified atheist and happy and everything. Something like that. I forget the slogan on the bus. It was so embarrassing because you know what they found out? Those they picked to model how you can be a happy atheist were Christians. <laughs> they took the picture of that model for him. I said, oh, you guys, you can never win. Next slide. Uh, you know, this is just something I want to share with you. If someone won hundreds of millions of dollars on two consecutive Powerball lotteries, would you be a little suspicious? How about if they won five in a row? Everyone in the country, they kept winning. Would you be suspicious? Come on. Hundreds of millions of dollars in Powerball, they win five times a row out of everybody else. 
you'd be suspicious. If they won billions in 20 consecutive Powerball lotteries, you would know the results were rigged. However, with the fine-tuning of the universe, it would be far more remote than winning hundreds of Powerball lotteries consecutively. The universe was undoubtedly rigged for life. Paul Davies says, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. Bill Gates admitted, but the mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing, and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, and does, uh, that, that does seem, you know, sort of an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God. Even guys like that are admitting it, right? Frank Tipler, let's just pass this up because it's longer quotes, and I want to, Robert Jastro, I love this quote. I had this memorized for some time, and uh, I love this quote. Jastro, leading NASA scientist, right? He said, now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. Okay, he's like the top or one of the top, if not the top, NASA scientists of his time. Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. By the way, a lot of biologists would get upset with the physicists because they were considered the top scientists, the cosmologists, astronomers, because they're just brainiacs, right? And just and historically, the, the great majority of them are believe there's a creator because they're just like Abraham Lincoln. How can you look up and just say it's an accident, right? He goes on to say, this is ex- an exceedingly strange development, unexpected by all. What? That the evidence supports what the Bible teaches in creation? He says this is an unexpectedly strange development, unexpected by all but the theologians. They have always accepted the word of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But for the scientist, but for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. In other words, it's obvious, right? And the more research they do with cosmology and so forth, the more they realize there has to be a creator. And we've known that all along. He's basically saying, I'm looking at that clock and we used to get done in two hours. Now we've been doing an hour, about an hour and 45 minutes, a little bit longer. Should we get done at our old time? Or you want me to, or can we stop here? Huh? You know, nobody wants to be the guy that says, oh man, I gotta go. If you gotta go, it's okay then. We'll just, we'll just I'll, I'll finish it up. By, we'll get done at a normal time though. Even with, we'll try to get done with our normal time. Uh, General Revelation number six. I'm just going to really just whip through this without reading a lot of the quotes, okay? Nature bears witness of a divine being, okay? Romans one, I already mentioned that. They suppress the knowledge of the truth, amen? They hold it down, right? Look at the next slide. See this little guy? Holding down Jack in the box. It's a scary thing to face God because you realize you're accountable and the evidence is all around, but you can, they suppress the truth. They hold it down like this little guy. Next slide. But then when they see that he exists, it really spoils things because... They don't want to behave. They don't want to not commit adultery. They don't want to, you know, not steal or, or bear false witness or hold grudges and hate, hate on people. They don't want to do these things. They, they want to be able to do those things, but they don't want to face God and, not, and have to not do those things and repent. So they cry, you know, when they see the evidence and they try to explain it away or they try to throw Jack away. So, or in this case, God away. So they don't have to face him, but God's not going away. We'll pass up the next uh, uh, slides. Psalm 14.1, we'll keep going right there. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. You see, rejecting God is connected to abominable works, okay? Charles Darwin himself said that his theory, keep in mind what he's saying about the devil and serving Satan. He says, quote, it's like confessing a murder. Okay, Ian Taylor, really good book, In the Minds of Men, that he wrote years ago. Many commentators have pointed out that murder, the murder that he spoke of, that is Darwin, is an effective murder of God. He realized he was trying to get rid of God, actually. And then he hated things in creation that broke his theory. In fact, look at the next, uh, uh, let's skip the next one. Let's skip the, the, uh, the, the, the slide. Let's go to Darwin, the next one right there. Right there, he basically, this is amazing, and I have to say this. You know what he says here? He says, another source of conviction is the existence of God, and the existence of God, meaning that he does exist, is the impossibility of conceiving this immense and wonderful universe, including man with his capacity to look back, uh, backwards and into the future, he says, as a result of blind chance or necessity. Uh, but check it out. He's saying, just the fact that we can comprehend the universe, our consciousness, and we can look back in the past, we can look to the future, we have an awareness, we have consciousness. He goes, that's a strong evidence against his theory, Darwinism. It's a strong evidence for the belief in God. But look what he goes on to say. This is the most ridiculous. Armand, you're, you're going to major in philosophy, right? Tell me if this is good philosophy. But then arises the doubt, can the mind of a man which has, as I fully believe, been developed from a mind as low as that possessed by the lowest animals, be trusted when it draws such grand conclusions? Next slide. Would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? if there are any convictions in such a mind? In other words, yeah, the evidence seems to scream there's a creator. But since we evolved from these lower animals, we kind of really have just monkey minds. We can't really trust that. But we can trust our dumb monkey minds to believe your theory. All of a sudden, they're trustworthy. Do you see the fallacy there? Right, right Armand? <laughs> okay. Uh, Darwin to, Darwin to Ar Asa Gray. The thought of the eye made me cold all over. He, get, he hated, he'd see the eye, he just bugged him. Man, it looks like there's a creator. He doesn't want there to be a creator. It may be cold all over, but I have got over the stage of the complaint. And now small trifling particulars of the structure often make me very uncomfortable. He doesn't want there to be a creator. Look at the next slide. He says, the sight of a feather in a peacock's tail, whenever I gaze at it, see how beautiful it is? He says, makes me sick. Okay. <laughs> this is the kid that doesn't want Jack to pop out of the box. Okay, we'll pass uh, the next one. Well, I'm going to show you Huxley because Julian Huxley was Thomas Huxley's grandson, UNESCO, United Nations kind of guy, one worlder, son of Darwin's bulldog, Thomas Huxley. He says, Darwinism has, quote, removed the whole idea of God from the sphere of rational discussion. His dad, Darwin's bulldog, said it broke taboos, like he's talking about moral taboos. Uh, his grandson, Aldous Huxley, who was pushing drugs, and I have some of his books on drugs and stuff. I've done a lot of research on pharmacaea. The Bible predicted it would come. He admits, you know, the whole hippie movement and that thing going on and the beatnik movement before that. Look what he says. I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. For myself, as no doubt, for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, meaning from morals. Thou shalt not, you know, commit adultery, sleep around, basically, you know. We, we, he says, objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He's talking in the longer quote. If I had more time to quote him longer, and would have brought it. He's talking about they, they went to Darwinism because, guess what? They could do what they will. Amen? 
Okay, this is a, a quote, the next one, uh, this is from Dawkins talking about his daughter, and then he's on a ride with her when she's very young, and I'm not going to read the whole quote, it's the next one, but he's basically saying, they were looking at the, the flowers, the bees and everything, and he says, why are they here? And she said, to bring beauty to the world, and, and to pollinate the flowers, and that she's talking about the purpose, and he said, I had to tell her that she's wrong. So intuitively, his own daughter knows as a creator, and he's trying to destroy that, you know? Next slide expelled uh, great uh, video not even a Christian video but uh, you know Ben Stein he interviews a bunch of people on creation uh, you should check it out uh, he asked uh, Richard Dawkins poster boy of atheism uh, well what if you know the, the evidence shows that there's obviously a creator of these things well if there is a creator of these you know these you know biological uh, he basically says, I'll, I'll just quote him on this because I don't want to misquote him. I've got to be careful here with Dawkins. Now, that it, it is possible in the middle of the quote that an intriguing, it's an intriguing possibility, talking about design, uh, showing that there's a creator. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the details of, of the biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. But you know what he says? But then if, it, if there's a designer, it had to be aliens, and then it had to be aliens that evolved somewhere else. So it still started with evolution. I mean, it was so embarrassing. It was embarrassment to the evolutionary community that he actually said these things. We'll pass the next couple by, uh, we'll pass the next couple slides. Let's go all the way to, this uh, go like three, four. You'll see one with big print eventually right here, okay? Listen to what Scott Todd said, an immunologist of Kansas University. He said, even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such a, even everything, all the evidence points that way, he says, such a hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. All the evidence. In other words, guess what? If I put this computer in a place where they've never seen a computer, they've never seen technology, and they start using it and realize how it works to a degree, right? Say it's some chimpanzees, and they can communicate. And they, they, but they're not allowed to believe. You don't want to believe in human beings. They, they don't exist. And so he says, you know what? This was obviously made. No, we have to find some kind of way it just came out of the ground in some way and created itself. Otherwise, it's not science. See how stupid that is? That's basically what he's saying. It's idiotic. I'm sorry, it is. The law of conscience. Con means it's the conscience, conscience, science, con, with knowledge. It means we're born with knowledge, okay? Romans 2.15 says that God has created in us a conscience that tells us the difference between good and evil, Okay? Every attempt to reduce ethics to scientific formula must fail, Darwin said. I'm sorry, uh, Einstein said, okay? Uh, <laughs> Richard Dawkins, it's pretty hard to defend absolute morals or anything other, than, on other, anything other than religious grounds. Science has no methods for declaring what's ethical, what's right or wrong. In other words, you want to jettison God, you can't have right or wrong, okay? You can't have objective right or wrong. Okay, you can't say this is right or wrong because there is a moral lawgiver. It's basically however everybody feels and what they feel they can get, can get away with. Okay, he says, Dawkins, uh, the next slide. He says, the universe from a Darwinistic perspective he's talking about is at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA has uh, knows, no, I'm sorry, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is and we just dance to its music. A lot of them don't believe in any free will. So a serial killer out there, Oh, well, he has no free will. It just justifies everything. It's wicked. Let's go, uh, let's keep going forward. A growing, uh, to Paul Bloom, one more, one more, right there. A growing body of evidence suggests that humans do have rudimentary moral sense from the very start of life. We have a conscience. 
I quoted a long time ago a, a study from Yale University where they were saying at two, three months, years old, they're seeing that kids have a conscience already. He go, this one goes on to say, the difference between good and bad may be hardwired into brain at birth. Okay. Uh, next slide. We'll skip these next two, bro. Next three. Uh, next four or five. Let's go to Ben Carson. You'll see Ben. Oh, man, you are fast. Ultimately, if you accept the evolutionary theory, Ben Carson, he was uh, under uh, the Trump administration uh, over HUD and everything, and he was the top surgeon, former eminent director of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. The first uh, human being, first person to ever uh, separate conjoined twins. I think it's called Gifted Hands, if I remember right, the name of his, his movie, a movie about his life. Amazing guy. He says, quote, ultimately, if you accept the evolutionary theory, you dismiss ethics. You don't have to abide by a set of moral codes. You determine your own conscience based on, uh, on, on your own desires. You have no reason for things such as selfless love when a father dives in to save his son from drowning. You can be like Lucifer, who said, I will make myself like the Most High. He knows what's going on. Okay, we'll pass uh, the next one. Uh, oh, the next one, you know, let's go back to the next one. Right after him, right here. Okay, another evolutionist, Alex Rosenberg, a uh, leading Darwinist. Uh, all claims about what is good in, in itself or about categorical moral rights or duties are either false or meaningless. He's just being honest. That's how they know, that's what they believe deep down if they're going to accept it. Okay, uh, we'll just keep, pa we'll pass the next guy. We'll go to Mike, uh, the, the next one, another leading uh, professor of Darwinism at Florida State University. He says, quote, God is dead, so why should I be good? The answer is that there are no grounds whatsoever for being good. There's no celestial headmaster who is going to give you a six uh, of the best if you are bad. Morality is flim-flam. I hate to be his wife. Well, of course, I'd hate to be his wife anyway, but you know. Uh, number one, these conclusions. If moral convictions such as good and evil exist objectively, then there must necessarily be an objective foundation for their existence. Number two, atheism, atheism offers absolutely no objective basis for the existence of moral convictions such as good and evil. Three, therefore, for the atheist, moral convictions such as good and evil must not objectively exist. And they, they can't, and they don't. Okay, some atheists will still do moral things because guess what? God has written on their conscience that they should be good, you know? They, they have a hard time overriding to one degree or another depending on the atheist. We'll pass Sean Carroll up. We'll go to Ted Bundy. Look what Ted Bundy did. Probably the most famous serial killer ever. Him and, you know, the cannibal, a Dahmer, right? Look what Bundy said. He's talking about, it's talking about what he said to a woman. He raped and killed many of them, Right? But this is a woman. Look what he said. Then I learned that all moral judgments, this is what he said to her. I learned that all, this is what I learned in school, right? That all moral judgments are value judgments, that all value judgments are subjective, and that none can be proved to be better or either right or wrong. Why is it more wrong to kill a human animal than any other animal, a pig or a sheep or a steer? If your life is more, uh, if your life more, uh, is your life more to you than a hog's life or to a hog? Uh, why should we be willing to sacrifice my pleasure more than the one for the other. In other words, you're, gal, you're a pig. And why should your life matter more to you than a pig's matters for it? And if I eat ham, if I go to the next slide, surely you wouldn't, uh, surely you would not, in this age of scientific enlightenment, declare that God of nature has marked some pleasures as moral or good and others as immoral or bad. This is, this is the way a serial killer thinks. 
In any case, let me assure you, my dear young lady, that there is absolutely no comparison between the pleasure I might take in eating ham and the pleasure I anticipate in raping and murdering you. This is the honest conclusion to which my education has led me. Now, I have a clip that I'm going to skip for time's sake of Ted Bunny, so we're just going to pass that clip. I was going to play on him, uh, play with him. Here's a militant atheist, just being honest. On what moral grounds can you provide a response to Bundy? He says, none. <laughs> I couldn't argue with this, or with his, Ted Bundy's point. It is entirely logically consistent. I'm an atheist. I'm not sure why other atheists have such a hard time being honest about such questions. I don't personally like what Ted Bundy did, but I'm no better than he is. Wow. <laughs> and in a way, I admire his intellectual honesty. It's a rare thing. In other words, he's saying if us atheists are honest, we're going to admit that being pure evil is not really evil at all in their view, okay? In fact, Jeffrey Dahmer, he justified his murders and killings and things because he thought same way Bundy thought. He cannibalized and ate a whole bunch of kids, okay? Teenagers and so forth. Let's look at this clip. I always, I always believe the, uh, the lie that uh, evolution is truth, the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from uh, the slime and uh, when, we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. So it, the whole theory cheapens life and uh, started reading books about how, that show how evolution is, is just a complete lie. There's, there's, no, there's no basis in science to, uh, to uphold it. And I've come to, since come to believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of uh, the heavens and the earth. It just didn't just happen. And uh, I have accepted him. Pass out the cup and the bread Lord while they're listening to this. And I believe Thanks, that guys. I, as, long, as well as everyone else, will be accountable to him. Growing up, did you feel that you were accountable to your dad or to your mom as the authority yes, figure I did. in the house? Yes, I did. I mean, they, they didn't let me uh, run wild. They, were, they disciplined me. And uh, so I felt accountable to them. But afterwards, after I Try left Try to pay home, attention while it comes. That's, that's when I... Uh, started wanting to uh, sort of create my own little world where I could be the one who had the complete control, where I didn't have to uh, bow to anyone else's demands, and uh, I just took it way too far. Well, at that period of time, I had drifted away from a belief in a supreme being, and I never, as a result, passed along the feeling that we are all accountable in the end. He owns us. And that basic concept is very fundamental to all of us. You feel that the absence, at least for a while, of a strong religious faith and yes. belief for some years may have prevented you from instilling some of that in Jeff. That's right. Is that how you feel? Yes, I think I had a big, uh, big part to do, to do with it. I mean, uh, if you don't, if a person doesn't think that there, there is a God to be accountable to, then, then what's, what's the point of, of trying to uh, modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. And uh, I've since come to believe that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the only true God.
Crazy, huh, guys? This is a this is not stuff the average public scene. Okay, they get to see that right there, but not everything we've been showing. And uh, there's more. I was going to go through into Hitler and Stalin and atheism and uh, Darwinism and Mein Kampf. You know, and it influenced millions and millions and millions and millions of killings and murders. And uh, I we'll just close it down right there. Thanks, <laughs> Tony's been ahead of me every time. That's great. It's like we did any things on the road a lot before, Tony. Uh, you guys, love you guys. You are created by an amazing creator who is good, amen? The fact that he's given us a conscience to tell the difference and that he instructs us to do what's right. Uh, my heart breaks because a lot of the families and a lot of society as a whole, when you jettison God, you know, from everything, you're going to have a godless society. And that's what we have. And we have murders and a lot of crimes are up and Lawless is increasing. You need to make sure that you are devoted to the Lord. Amen. His evidence, it's like a bullhorn every time you just look around at what he's made, that he exists. Amen. Your conscience bears witness that he is good and that we should follow him and put our trust in him. His word reveals who he is. If, I thought it's very interesting that top scientists say, this is exactly what it says in Genesis, you know, the creation of, of the universe. And what we would expect according to the, the book of Genesis is, and then the fall of man is that there would be a beautiful creation that it would be tarred and there would be entropy. The second law would come in because of mutations in nature, because thorns and thistles came up because of human rebellion against God and God's judgment, and that all the entire universe is going to suffer a heat loss death because all the energy is dissipating into lower forms, less useful forms of energy, right? So even if you aren't a creationist, you have to know and understand the science says that the universe is going to be zero in the end. But biblically, that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says the universe is wearing out like a garment, but you, O oh Lord, exist forever. And praise God, the Bible says that God is going to step in and create a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? And that we'll dwell with him forever. And it says he'll create a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the only way you're going to be in the new heaven and new earth is if you are made righteous. We cannot may, be made righteous. Look, at I'm showing you the scientific community. It's just as jacked up and it's just as satanic as we show with 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 musicians and they sold their souls for rock and roll. It's a spiritual battle, okay? We have to know and understand that there is a spiritual war. And Darwin and Wallace were both under the delusion that were being, they were being led by. Darwin himself admits he was serving the devil. He's a devil's chaplain, preaching the devil's gospel. Wallace was an occultist. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual war. You have to put your trust in the one true God and make sure that you've been redeemed, that you've been saved, because you can't save yourself. God became a man. That's the, I wish we had time to get into this whole thing, but you've heard it over and over again. God became a man, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, my sins, all the, our sins, the sins of any of these scientists I quoted. Died for all of our sins, even Jeffrey Dahmer's. I don't know where his heart was at the end. That's going to be between him and God ultimately, because I do know Jesus died for all sins, though. He died for your sins. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not, what? Cast away. So if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ right now and ask for forgiveness of your sins, you'll be forgiven. Your, your, your slate will be washed clean. Your sins will be washed away. Amen? And you'll become a new creation in Christ and come. God will come and live in you by his Holy Spirit. So don't wait to make that choice. Repent. Turn from a life of sin and rebellion against God. Embrace Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whoever confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, amen, and believes in their heart that God rose from the dead, they shall be what? saved. Make sure you've done that. Amen. Let's all stand, please. He is so good. Father God, we thank you so much. We confess our sins. Let's make sure you confess your sins before him. 
Tell him you're sorry. Father, your word says if we hide our sins, we'll not prosper. But if we confess our sins and forsake them, that we'll be blessed. And your word says if we confess our sins as well, that you're faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the mercy and forgiveness we have in Jesus. We partake of the bread representing your son's body that was broken for us on the cross. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Father, we thank you for your son paying the fine that we deserve because we went not only against conscience, but it went against your word. And as sinners, Father, we're, we stand condemned without Christ. But we thank you that your word says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that we've passed from death to life. For those who are trusting him, we're following him. We partake of the cup, which represents his precious blood that he poured out in our place on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all put down our cups? How can you not get excited when you see the Lord's creation? Amen. Amen. Let's give him glory. Amen. We love you, Lord God. And we praise your holy name. You are worthy, Father. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your spirit. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, you guys. You guys, praise him every day, man. Praise him when you rise. Praise him when you walk. Praise him when you go to sleep. Put God, put Lord for God first in your life. Amen. Amen. And by the way, does the evidence favor that everything came out of nothing or that there is a radical creator? Come on, we know. Give someone a big hug. Love you guys. God bless.